Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? On today's episode, we are talking about the second need area of the five need areas. So if you weren't here for the last episode, I was asked to take our episode on the five needs areas and break it down one need per episode. So we're doing shorter episodes, going into a little bit of detail about each of these five need areas. Last episode was all about self-regulation. Today's episode is all about attachment and relationship need. So what is this? It's just the need to feel connected and to belong to a group, a family system, a school system, a classroom, whatever it is, connected and belonging. And when this need isn't met, that's when we see behaviors occurring and and how I'll know a child has an unmet need in the area of relationship attachment is because I will see them seeking ways to connect and belong. And that can look really two different ways. One, I'll see a kid being overly kind and lovey and kind of like attached to someone's hip or very needy. Or on the opposite end of the spectrum, I will see a child who is negative attention seeking. So doing lots of things to act a certain way to get attention. And the ironic thing about this is kids don't realize their bodies are doing this. This is a subconscious, unconscious thing that's happening, that their bodies are seeking this relationship, this connection, maybe physical touch, and they aren't getting it somewhere. And some kids need more than others based on environment, based on genetics. So even if we in family systems or school systems feel like we are doing enough to give each child the attention that they need, some kids will need more than others. So I would just ask you to get curious and be mindful and watch when you start to see behaviors like this, attention seeking or uh, kids being like way too over the top with their neediness and their learned helpless, that might be a cry for attention. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means that there's an unmet need and we need to do something to get that need met. So where does this come from? Typically living in unsafe or inconsistent environments. I know we want to default often to unsafe, but it could be a a very um, comfortable family home but there's just inconsistencies like the way mom parents is different than the way dad parents or parents are divorced and they're at one family one weekend and another family another weekend, or there are people in and out of the house, or there are people who work a lot and, and there's inconsistencies in time and attention and all of those things. So 
I think we naturally just default to, oh, there must have been trauma or, or something, but it could just be chronic stress to the child that is causing this type of need. So basically, you'll know that this is a need area for the child when they are seeking attention in some format. Okay, so when this need is unmet, what are some things that I do to stop the behaviors from happening or to get the need met so that behaviors stop? A couple of different things. Uh, it depends. I, I, I do a little bit of observing and watching and getting curious. What are the need, what are the behaviors that are trying to get the need met? And what are some possible maybe replacements? Or what are some little things that I can do to feed the need so that the child won't be seeking that attention? So if it's at school or it's at home and it's around a certain time or transition, or I know an example at home was like (laughs) a grandmother who had custody of her granddaughter. And as soon as she would get on the cell phone, the granddaughter would get really angry and really upset. And that's because it was a loss of attention. So as soon as grandma got off the phone and put her phone down, the (laughs) the child would throw the phone into water. She knew that whether it was a sink or that they had like a little pond or stream or something outside, the moment that phone went down, it would land in water because the, the child knew that the water would <laughs> essentially kill the phone. So that was one way to get the attention, also to, to, to remove the thing that was taking away the attention. So that's just one example. But in school systems, maybe it's a child who really acts out uh, during a transition to maybe like a learning activity or a transition to another place in the building. So what I'll do at those times is right before I go into a call or right before I make that transition, I'm going to do something to feed attention to the child. So it could be something as simple as a check and connect. A check and connect is just exactly what it sounds like it is. I check in, I connect with the child. It could take 30 seconds to a minute, no more than like two, three minutes. And when I'm, I know that transition is coming, I'll go check and connect out. Maybe if they're older, ask a, a question that's a, a relationship building question or like, if it's a younger kid, it might be like, if you could be any superhero right now, who would you be? Or if they're playing, I might go play with them. Or if they're working on a project, I might show interest in the po- project. But it's just a way to check in and connect with them to uh, build that relationship and give them the attention they need. And that little dose of attention will often free you up to be able to transition to the next activity or to take that phone call or whatever it may be. The other thing I might do is give them, teach them more appropriate ways to get my attention. If throwing the phone in the water isn't the way I want them to get the attention, which probably it isn't, what are some appropriate ways to get my attention? Can you draw me a picture of what you want or you need? If you're old enough, can you write me a letter? Can you just tell me I need your attention? Can you tap my shoulder? Uh, whatever it may be. Or maybe I forewarn them, I'm going to take a call. It's going to be this long. I'll set a timer. When that ends, then we can do this, act- this activity together. I'm kind of like this promise reinforcer. Uh, it's a bit different than a bribe because it's helping them to work on self-regulation and awareness of their bodies. And you're not begging them or bribing them to do something. You're just offering them a reward uh, for the practiced art of self-regulation. So lots of ways to do this. And again, I'm not going into a whole lot of detail with all of these. I go into a, a quite a bit of detail and a much deeper dive in our online course, uh, the Emotional Literacy or the Emotional Intelligence Blueprint course, where we talk about each need area. We talk about behaviors that would fall into those and we dissect behaviors and we come up with 
intervention plans to meet those needs. But I would encourage you to just pause and think, what can I do to give the child attention during attention-seeking times or before attention-seeking times so that I don't need to get them negative attention during those times in response? If they get it before, they won't be seeking it during. All right, today's listener question comes from Pennsylvania. And the person says, it is difficult to engage some parents in programming or strategies due to socioeconomics, language barriers, maybe even a lack of training in which um, they can use in the home or their environment. So what can I do? All right. So the first thing I would do is pause and problem solve because we often come up with these problems and we're like, oh, I have this problem. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to solve it. And, and we're moving so fast through our days. We don't just pause and sit in the problem and think about solutions. So I would actually get a piece of paper. Maybe this can all be one problem. Maybe it's separate. Maybe socioeconomic status and language barriers and, and the lack of training for the right environment are three separate problems. So I pick which one I want to work on first. And I actually come up with some solutions. So for example, the language barriers, one of the things I would think about, okay, well, if I can't speak in that language. Is there someone that could translate? If I don't have the time for that, is there someone that I can share the message with that can then go share the message with the family that does have the ability to communicate in that language with the family? Another thing too is micro steps or something called backwards chaining, where instead of giving them all the information they need, just give them the tiniest little step that they need to get closer to the end core, closer to success. Too much, too fast will not last. So really break it down. And just remind yourself that they don't need all of it at once because something is better than nothing. And taking a step in one direction closer to the end goal is better than, than not moving at all. And I would ask you to really partner up with people who can reach these people, people who know tactics to respond to people in different socioeconomic statuses, people that can speak different languages, people that can break trainings down or find trainings or have trainings or whatever uh, it is needed to communicate, I would encourage you to get curious about how to creatively communicate with people in these different settings because a little bit of time investment into that problem-solving process with yourself might return its investment tenfold because if the, the families have the skills that they need at home to work with a child or to implement some of these things, you will likely see a lot of improvements in the school system. So it's worth the time and investment. So I would encourage you to think about how can we possibly find ways to meet these needs. The other thing I'd encourage you to do too is, is check online. There are wonderful digital virtual assistant programs like Fiverr, F-I-V-E-R-R, or Upwork, who have people who can translate things to different languages. They can create trainings that will meet different people's needs. And it's, it's quite inexpensive to be able to reach uh, a lot of people. And for me, that might be worth the, the financial investment because it will save my emotional investment. All right, to wrap up our show today, I'm going to share with you our try it at home tip, which is meditating before bed. So I know I've talked a lot about med meditation and the health benefits and how it clears your brain space and your mind. And I do it a lot in the morning and I'll be honest, saying it's, it's been a learned practice where I've had to try and do it at night and I'm, I'm really good at doing it in the morning. I can do it for 10, 20 minutes. Um, but at night, sometimes I'm just, I'm so tired. I just want to crash. So at night, I'll just do it for less time. Maybe it's just two minutes or five minutes. 
but I am trying to make that a, a daily practice every evening where I am meditating before bed. Why it's helping your brain to transition to that rested sleep state. And you don't have to, you know, <laughs> use your own brain power to turn your brain off. There are wonderful apps like Headspace, Calm. I really prefer and love Insight Timer. And the beauty of Insight Timer is you can search meditations by time. So you can do under five minute meditations, under one minute meditations, under 10 minutes. And you can also search by guided meditations as well. So I will do guided meditations under a certain amount of time and I will search like nighttime or sleep. And they're really wonderful meditations that send me into this awesome state. So I'm working on a state change here to prepare myself for sleep and to let go of all that I'm holding on to for my day so I don't go into my night and into my dreams with those thoughts and I kind of release them. So I highly encourage you to at least try and do it on the work nights. Try and do it every night, even if you can only do a minute. And the more nights a week that you can do it consistently back to back to back to back to back, it becomes a habit. And once you use it as a habit and make it a habit, it becomes a preventative practice and it will save you so much time and energy the next morning and save a lot of your brain space. So meditate before bed. All right. That is it for today's episode of the Returning to Us podcast. Remember our tried at home tip, meditate before bed. And if you would like me to answer your question on a future episode, email me at podcast at thebehaviorhub.com or send a text to 717-693-7744. And I would encourage you to lock in what you learned by applying it right away. An easy way to do this is to leave a review or a comment with your biggest takeaway. And don't forget to subscribe to a future episode to learn more ways to hack your brain. Until next episode, I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, and thanks for joining me.